So we're in Romans 8 today, and my title today is God's Unstoppable Glorification. I didn't have room enough in your notes to put that title because everything was kind of squished in there. But God's Unstoppable Glorification. A few weeks ago, we looked at the uh, introduction of the book of Job. Matter of fact, on Easter Sunday, and we found that Job was a, a man who tried everything in his power to live righteously. Uh, he was very rich, and he had children who enjoyed life, and by all accounts, Job enjoyed life. But if you remember, in the span of, of just, just one day, he lost all of his sources of income, all of his children, and all of his hired help. And the central question for the book of Job was this, how can God be just by allowing the righteous to suffer? Also remember that Job lacked a few very important things. He, he existed before the, the priesthood and before the Levites, before the temple. He existed before the law of Moses. So Job believed he was righteous because he followed a very few things. He didn't have the extent of the law and he, he still believed he was righteous because he followed a few things. And the law was later to given to show that righteousness was not following God in a few things but following God in everything. Which is why Christ was the fulfillment of the law and of our righteousness. Job didn't realize that no one is righteous before God and that no amount of good works can make us deserve anything. Job didn't deserve anything. And I've said this several times in the past few weeks that the fastest growing church movements in the world today are happening in the poorest countries in the world. And guess what? All of those believers are still following Jesus. If they had a rice uh, a bowl of rice and a glass of milk before Jesus, most likely the day after Jesus, they still had a bowl of rice and a glass of milk. Jesus didn't wave a magic wand over the condition and give them a BMW. <laughs> Nothing wrong with BMW, I like it. He didn't give them anything, matter of fact, he gave them salvation, amen? You see, they're still poor, and the prosperity preachers would say, that they don't have enough faith or that they should give more so that God would, would increase His blessings upon them. Well, here's the problem. You can't give more of your income when you don't have income. You see what I'm saying? If it takes one bowl of rice to feed you a day and that's all you have, you can't give more than one bowl of rice. All right? So these believers are still poor most of the time. And then they see these American preachers on TV saying that God wants his children to be rich. The only problem is Jesus looked more like the person in poverty than he looks like us. So I'm still in the introduction. I won't continue there because I'm not warmed up yet. You know, when you go to the gym, you just don't go straight for 275 pounds. You got you to work your way up there, George. You know what I'm saying? So let me get back. Let me introduce another character. Let me introduce a man that had knowledge of God's law and sought to obey God's law at every point. This man was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. This man was educated at one of the best teachers of that day of the Jewish law that existed. And just like Job, this man named Paul sought to live righteously every day until God showed him the greatness of his sin. God did not show him how much he deserved. He showed him that he didn't deserve anything except judgment. You see, 
Paul sought to live righteously every day, but God showed him his greatness of a sin, of his sin, and then he saw the greatness of the Savior. And so, how was Paul's condition magically changed after becoming a Christian? According to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, this is what 2 Corinthians 11 says, he got five times the 40 lashes minus one. Have you seen the passion of the Christ? Raise your hand. You know where Jesus is chained to that, that stump and he receives the cat of nine tails? Paul received it five times. All right? That must have been his best life now. Let's go on. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Pelted with stones. I've got to put in context for teenagers today, okay? All right, just make sure we're on the same page. People threw rocks at him. All right. Three times he was shipwrecked. Says he spent a day and a night in the open sea. His boat sunk and he spent uh, 24 hours in the sea trying to stay alive. He'd been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, from Gentiles, from, from the country, from at sea, and from false believers. And what is Paul's response to these things that the Lord gave him? Let me tell you something. These were the things the Lord gave him for following Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, when he was following the law and Judaism, but he had everything, he had all the all the power he had the the recognition and what happened once he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ Jesus didn't increase his status he put him through trial and suffering and what did Paul say he said this Philippians 3 8 I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus Mm. you see (laughs) all these things were what God gave him to know the worth of Christ He said, I have considered all things lost. I count them as garbage that I might gain Christ. So let's reconsider our context for Romans chapter 8. You see, Job was convinced that suffering took power away from his life. Paul was convinced that suffering was putting power into it. And that's why the prosperity gospel is so damaging. Because it robs from us the very thing that Christ uses to transform us into his image. So, though the enemy uses suffering to defeat us, it is that very thing which God uses to make us utterly dependent on Him and to produce Christ within us. God uses suffering to produce Christ within us. So let's read Romans 8, picking up in, um, let's pick up in verse 30 from last week for context, and we're going to look at 31 and 32. Paul says, Moreover, those whom He predestined, He also called. Those He called... He also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? May God bless the reading of his word. Today I'm not going to present three answers But rather, I'm going to present three questions from the text. Paul asked these questions in the the, the flow of Romans chapter 8. And he begins in verse 31 by asking the first question today. And if you got your bulletins, follow along with us. He says, what shall we say to these things? That's the first question he asked. What shall we say to these things? What's the these things that he's talking about? 
These things is referring to what he's shown in chapter 8, that God's plan for the suffering but also the glorification of his children. But more specifically, the preceding three verses which show us the qualification of his saints. He shows us the, the five qualifications of his saints in the preceding three verses. So, so at the crescendo of his passage, he doesn't make a statement, he makes a question. You know why? Because the evidence is so overwhelming, he doesn't have to say anything else. He simply asks you, once you see it, what shall you now say? What shall you say to this? And here's what we see in these things, at least five conditions of God working in his people. Number one, we're going to start out going through Romans 8.28. If you've got your words open, he says, we know that all things that work together for those who love God and are called. Number one, his people are called. His people are called according to his purpose. Okay? Number two, if you see in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, if you remember from last week, he means he knew us beforehand, before we were ever created. He knew exactly your little idiosyncrasies. He knew you were going to put your blue socks on the left in your sock drawer and your white socks on the far right and your black socks in the middle. I don't know if you do that, but I'm just taking a random guess. And, and he knew, you know, that you were going to like skim milk with your Cheerios. And he knew everything about you before you were born. Those whom he foreknew, number two, leads to number three, the ones that he predestined. Meaning that he determined beforehand the guarantee of their inheritance. All right? You, you, you know, say, say I had a, um, a, a disease that I knew I was going to die. What's that called? Terminal disease. Thank you very much. And let's say, you know, my daughter Bella is six, and, and I know i got ten years to live, so, so I want to make sure that once I die, Bella's taken care of. So what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to put all my money, everything I make in an account that, that whenever I leave, she don't have to worry about anything. And, and there's a lot of parents that do this all the time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find... The type of investment that will guarantee, now work with me here, that would guarantee that she's not going to lose money, but she's going to be taken care of. Why am I do that? Because my concern for the future of my children is to secure their destiny. All right? So when God looked through the corridors of time, he saw his people group, and he determined to secure the destiny of his people. It says that he predestined his people in verse 29. And then it goes on to say um, in number 4 that those who are predestined are justified. That means made right with God. The ones he saw beforehand, he made them right. Alright? He didn't cause you, well, he didn't call you because you were uh, a good person. He called you because you were a bad person. And therefore he made you righteous through faith. All right, number five, the final step is that those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, folks, let me say this. I don't understand all about God. I, no one's ever made that claim. You see what I'm saying? I don't know how my, my fuel injector works in my truck, but I get in and drive it. <laughs> you ain't got to figure it all out before you enjoy the vehicle, amen? I mean, the manual says put gas in it. I'm not sure what happens from the time it gets there to there and out there. All I know is I put gas in it to take me somewhere. 
So some of us, we get, we get focused on the little, the little nitpicky details. Well, how does God know? I don't know. Ask God one day. All right? But let the text speak for the text and get to the point. Well, you say do it, preacher. I'm working on it. So I have a question. <laughs> and this is a Jesse question, not a Paul question. If we have all that, that we've been called for, known, predestined, justified, glorified, if we have all that, what else do you want? I mean, uh, seriously, seriously, what else are you waiting for to declare God's blessing in your life? You see, God has already given you the most important thing in Jesus Christ. Everything else is momentary. Everything else is transitory. It can be here today, gone tomorrow. It don't mean a hill of beans difference. And literally, I'm standing beside a hill of beans. They'll be here today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> That's never happened before. Friday night, we watched the Secret Church broadcast with David Platt. He told the story about John Wesley's house burning down, and someone came up to John Wesley and said, John Wesley, your house just burnt down. And John said, it wasn't my house, it was the Lord's, and that's one less thing I got to worry about. You know what that is? That's resolve. That's not just faith, that's, that's contentment. No matter what comes my way, it is not shaking God, and therefore shouldn't shake me. Friday, <clears throat> I was spreading compost in my garden. And I had my truck parked near the area of my garden. I had some rakes leaning up against my truck. I had some shovels leaning up against my truck and a garden hoe. Well, I stepped near my truck to go grab a rake, and I stepped straight on the blade of that hoe. And I'm kidding, just like one of them cartoons, one of them Disney movies, I stepped on the blade of this hoe, and that thing popped right up, hit me straight in the mouth. <laughs> And the funniest thing was no one was around to see it or enjoy it. <laughs> I at least wish that my negligence would have brought someone a little humor. <laughs> but it didn't. So here I am, this thing popped me in the mouth. And I got manure to spread. No one saw it. So you know what I did? I went back to spreading, spreading the compost. I mean, you know what you do when you get popped in the mouth? You spread more dirt. You don't sit there and say, well, how in the world? Because this, <laughs> this is just not right. Let me tell you something. I didn't go outside to put makeup on. I went because I was planting seeds to bear fruit. I didn't go outside because I was trying to look pretty for nobody. I went outside because I wanted to see something replicate and multiply that would feed some people. So therefore, I didn't go back inside when my face got hurt. I wish somebody would get me today. You see, when things don't go your way, it doesn't mean you stop planting seeds. It means that you hold tighter to the rake and you watch it step a little bit, but you keep on plowing dirt because guess what? You're there for fruit to be bared. It means we look more forward to the glory that God set before his people. So he says, what shall we say to these things? We've been guaranteed by God our inheritance. So we press on. Second question, he says, who shall be against us? Now, we can ask the same question as Paul, who can be against us? But we can also ask the question, what shall be against us? 
Because Paul has already established the evidence that the future glorification of God's people is secure, I think we can say this. What difference does it make what comes against us? What difference does it make? If the inheritance of God's children is secure, then what difference does it make? You see, we saw in verse 28 that everything that happens to those called by God are for His purpose and for His glory. And verse 17 says that we'll share in the sufferings and in the glory of the Son. So Paul is saying, when all this is known, what difference does it make who comes against me? Let us make something clear. Paul is not saying that nothing will come against us. Many things indeed will come against God's people. Many people will come against God's people. When he says who, who shall be against us, he's not saying that no one will be against us. He's saying what does it matter? Of what account are they? Of what power do they have? Why should I even give any concern to it? They're not going to stop God. Who shall be against us? I think many people take this verse as a promise instead of a proverb, and they go into ministry thinking, well, I'm, I'm for God. No one's going to come against me. <laughs> I remember I met with a lady one time. She wanted to start a ministry. And I said, listen, you're going to be lonely. No one's going to help you, and you're going to want to quit. I just want to tell you that up front. She didn't hear me six months later. She stopped. See, because what God has given you, a, a vision, He didn't give someone else a vision. You do what God called you to do. Many's going to come against you. If anybody knows it, Paul knows it, that at some point it seems like everything comes against you. At some point it seems like your family's coming against you, you're... Your friends are coming against you. Even them clusters to you, it feels like it's coming against you. But you know what Paul says? What difference does it make? Because God's, God's purpose won't be stopped. You see, let me list a few things that will come against God's children. I don't know, we've already kind of on a late track today, but that's all right. God's going to work it for his glory. There are many things that's going to come against us. Number one is that the devil's going to come against those who love God. All right, let me be perfectly clear today. If you don't give a rip about Jesus Christ, you're probably very happy. But the moment you start living for God, let me tell you, he's going to flip your world upside down. Because the devil's going to come against you. The enemy seeks to devour the children of God, praying around as a lying, waiting to devour his prey. The devil's going to come against you. Lost people are going to come against you. They're going to think you're fundamentalist. Dave, I got a new phrase for our church. We put the fun in fundamental. I'm glad three people liked it. Lost people are going to come against you. The liberal movement is going to come against those who love God. Now let me tell you what a politician just said, and I'll just mention that I, I don't make a, a practice of, of bringing politics into the pulpit, but I use this to illustrate a point. There was a politician, very prominent, She's a, a woman running for president. I'm not going to mention her name. She said that, um, she said about people who should have right to have an abortion, she said this, deep-seated cultural codes and religious beliefs need to be changed. Let me reiterate that to you. Deep-seated religious beliefs must be changed. 
in order to embrace legislation. You know what that means? If you don't believe what the government believes, you're now wrong. No longer is there tolerance. No longer is there pluralism. Because pluralism can't exist when you say, I believe this, and someone else says, I believe this. Ultimately, don't believe what anybody believes because the government's going to step in and say, this is what we believe. No longer is there acceptance of, of religion. No longer is there acceptance of your right to belief. No, it must be changed now. And David Platt told us Friday, it's our responsibility to stand up against injustice. Islamic extremism will come against those who love God. Last night, uh, my family went to Concord Mills to exchange some clothes, and I saw a woman walking out of the store dressed in the full burqa, head to toe in black, and the only thing I could see was her eyeballs. This is Concord, North Carolina. Uh, this isn't Pakistan. This isn't Afghanistan. This is Concord, North Carolina. And if you don't think that Islam is coming here, we're in for a surprise. But you know what Paul says? Huh. Who can come against the people of God? What difference does it make? You see, they're coming. And I'm going to tell you what our first priority as parents is. It's not to raise ball players. It's to raise Christians. Who will live in the kingdom of God in the face of rising adversity. Amen? Some, some parents got it backwards. Church is a hobby Church is a hobby and sports are a priority. Let me tell you. Church must be the priority. Faith must be the priority. You see, eventually the governments are going to rise up against those who love God. But no matter how strong they rise up, they're not going to prevent God's plan. What Paul is saying is that nothing will be able to be successful against us. He's not saying that no one's going to come against you. He says nothing that comes against us will be successful in stopping the movement of God. That's why I say this message is God's unstoppable glorification. Even if they cut the head off the body of a Christian, they'll never cut the head off the body of Christ. They can't stop the church no matter how hard they try. Just recently, there was an earthquake in India, and the toll now is that 2,000 lives have been lost in an earthquake. But do you know what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now is that hundreds, if not thousands of Christians are going to descend upon India for relief efforts, and they're going to be preaching the gospel, not only with their words, but with their hands. And now that, 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 that city, those, those places that have been affected where most of them were less than 2% evangelical, that evangelical number is going to rise up very sharply because a lot of Christians are going to come in there and say, we're here to help and tell you about Jesus Christ. Amen. My prayer is that because of the earthquake, that thousands and thousands of Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus in India come to know Christ and in God's sovereignty, if 2,000 had to die so 20, 100,000 could be saved, we're going to say glory to God. He did it according to His plan, not ours. No matter what comes against us, no matter if they burn churches to the ground, no matter if they take captive every Christian on the face of the earth, it won't stop God. Do you know this is what the Emperor Nero tried to do? He tried to exterminate Christianity in the Roman Empire. He burned them at the stake, and you know what happened? They just fled into other countries, made the Great Commission happen faster. <laughs> when they tried to punch us out, God just punched it up. God used the persecution of the saints as one of the steps towards the Great Commission. No matter what comes against us, it won't stop God. Lastly, last question today. How shall he not graciously give us all things? Now folks, 
This doesn't mean that God's going to give you what you want. All right? Even Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Lord, if possible, pass this, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, but not my will, but yours. See, God didn't even get Jesus everything that he asked for. You certainly ain't going to get it. <laughs> you know, sometimes I give gifts to my daughter because I love her. But other times I don't give gifts to my daughter because I love her. I don't want her to be spoiled. I want her to appreciate things. Matter of fact, Pastor Enoch... Mm, Bella took some of her birthday presents back. <laughs> to get something for Guyton. I said, Bella, you have too much stuff. <laughs> I said, what about, what about Guyton? See, sometimes I, I give my daughter things because I love her. Other times I take things away. So she'll learn value. She'll learn love and charity. And this is what God does. Sometimes he gives. Other times he takes away. And that's not a mark of his injustice. That's a mark of his beauty and wisdom. Lastly, what I want us to see is that he who did not spare his own son but gave him us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him Graciously give us all things. See, if God allowed his perfectly righteous son to suffer, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things that lead to his glory? You see, when you take the text out of the context, you're simply left with a con. The context is God's people are going to suffer for his name. <laughs> it's not a prosperity gospel context. It's that, listen, God, God took him out of... A destination towards hell to a destination towards heaven. And on that destination towards heaven was whippings, beatings, rock throwings, persecutions, shipwrecks. And God freely gave them all this so that in Jesus Christ to be glorified. Amen. If you've been going through a trial, know that it isn't pointless. It's pointing us to God. He freely gives us all things working towards His purpose this is why God didn't give Jesus what he asked for when Jesus said let the cup pass from me God didn't give it what he asked for because his purpose was the cross so it's not just what we ask well God I've been asking for this for 10 years my friend you keep on asking I pray for the salvation of my father for 17 years what if I'd have stopped at 16 He's still got a lot of sanctification to do on. God still has much to do on him, and, and he has on us all. So we don't stop praying. That's only the beginning. When our relatives get saved, that's not the end. Man, you, you got work to do now. God is for us because he is for his glory. And nothing is going to come against that purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the richness of the fellowship here today. Father, if there's a person in here today that, that has just lived according to their own measures, like Apostle Paul, Lord, they've, they've sought every manner of self-salvation through trying to be good enough. Maybe they've, maybe they've tried to be bad enough and wanted to you know, try anything that the world offers to find, a, find that contentment. But nothing has worked. God, I pray this morning they'll throw themselves upon the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ.
Maybe they'll come today to the altar and say, Pastor, I'm ready to trust Jesus today. Maybe there's a family and individual looking for a church home. God, if this is the place for them, I pray that you would bring them into the fellowship today. They'd walk down and say, Pastor, we're ready to join friendship and worship God here. Whatever you're doing, have your will and your way. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand as we sing before we dismiss.